Welcome to Uncontained, episode 166. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, I speak with Jose Pepe Adriazola. And uh, he's he's got his fingers in a lot of pieces of pie right now. A global business brand strategist, a socialpreneur, and an instructor at SAE Expressions in Emeryville, a uh, multimedia college. So the reason I listed out all of those things is because in the interview, he talks about having to have multiple jobs sometimes to do what you have to do to do what you love to do. So he, he talks about that in the show also we talk about things you can do as an artist to prevent from becoming a starving artist and some brand strategy as well and uh, we also talk about why the bay area hasn't become an entertainment mecca even though even though it influences all of the entertainment meccas. But I'll, I'll let him talk about that during the show. And if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please click that subscribe. Please click that subscribe button. It's free and the shows automatically come to you. Takes all the work out of it, right? And one last thing before we get started, we recorded this in a Pete's coffee shop in Emeryville, California. So there's going to be some coffee shop noises, some sweeping and brooms hitting dustpan noises. So please bear with me. It's only in certain spots and uh, the rest is just atmosphere. So plug in your earbuds. This is how Pepe Adarizola lives uncontained. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Enjoying the nice weather. It's Friday. The Warriors <laughs> are playing. Can't complain. Yeah, I can't complain on that. Sorry, I'm interrupting the game right now. Not at, not at, not at all, man. This is important as well. Could you go into a little uh, depth on what you do? Um, I wear different uh, hats. I'm uh, what they call business and brand strategist. Uh, and I'm also a social Entrepreneur, which is basically an entrepreneur who works on projects that have some type of social benefit. It's not quite in your dictionary yet, but it's something that uh, for, I'd say, now two decades, I've been helping local independent artists kind of help develop a roadmap for success for their careers, uh, develop their artistic uh, trajectory, and overall their brand. Um, I started doing that as a passion. Uh, I love music. I love art. I love entertainment. Uh, eventually, it, it kind of became my uh, intertwined career, if I may. Okay. All right. So, um, in a little bit, we'll go into like what you talk about or what you do at SAE. But what is it that initially got you into wanting to be part of the entertainment industry? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I'm originally from South America, Peru. And okay. while growing up uh, on Sundays, I had two uncles that were musicians, and they played Saturday nights, they played uh, on television, and during the week they had gigs, but on Sundays, it seemed like every Sunday afternoon they would come to my house, and it was a live jam. So that was uh, at an early age, and I grew up with that. Uh, my mom also got, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's funny, my mom <laughs> got my sister and I into dance classes and then we started dancing in the this television show like really early like five six years old when we were in peru once i moved to san francisco i moved here when i was 10 to reunite with the rest of my family my grandparents um you know i kind of got into music here and there i became a b-boy i was a break dancer and what have you. oh nice doing that all around the wharf in san francisco some of my older cousins actually were traveling and break dancing uh, and then once I got, you know, got out of high school, um, I started having house parties just because it's part of my culture, part of my nature. <laughs> right on. At every party, usually there was always something that happened. And uh, usually it was police coming to my house for uh, disturbing the peace. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so that was kind of my introduction into that. Um, from there, we had a big party at one, uh, one of the houses we lived in. And... Um, the police came, but we had a couple of light bands, some DJs, and we, during that incident, we locked ourselves up for like three days. And man, I was slapped with a huge lawsuit, uh, like 21 different counts for disturbing the peace. They came in and they saw somebody like 
selling drinks without a permit and a whole bunch of other stuff you know resisting opening the door anyways we went to court and um they said that uh, they would drop the 20 something charges if i was to move out of the city in this case uh it was my first time living in delhi city i was going to city college in san francisco if i was never to live in delhi city again they would drop on the charges so i went back to san francisco where i grew up and um I've been there since, but from that incident, what came out was that uh, it was time to start doing some events at school, in the campus. So I became part of what uh, what's called the Cultural Affairs in San Francisco City College and eventually at San Francisco State. And that was kind of my real first introduction into uh, entertainment. Okay. All right, cool. So you decided instead of the house parties and dealing with the police to take it legit a little bit and do it through the school. So, uh, you know, you you have that buffer between you and being kicked out of a city. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I moved back to the Mission where I grew up, Mission District in San Francisco. Uh, the parties did not stop. They actually continue. But I had a lot more flexibility and... Uh, Prior to uh, the gentrification, there was a little bit more acceptance. Eventually, I had to deal with some type of the same, um, let's say, challenges. But I started focusing more on uh, campus events, uh, campus activities um, that were related to our culture and entertainment. And eventually, I took it into uh, venues and festivals, public events, and what have you, and then internationally. Okay. All right. And for those of my listeners that aren't necessarily from around here or in areas where they talk about gentrification, do you want to explain that a little bit, your take on gentrification? Um, absolutely. Uh, well, here in the Bay, uh, I think in the entertainment industry, uh, a lot of people know that uh, we have visitors from all over the world to come here and get uh, some of the flavor, whether you go way back to, uh, you know, blues coming out of a... Uh, Oakland funk coming out of Oakland back in the days and you had the whole rock and roll era the uh, summer of love coming out of San Francisco the hate the mission district you know people come here to uh, even when I was breakdancing I remember Puma Adidas coming here and sponsoring some of us because uh, we were kind of trendsetters yeah and you know I think that still carries on till now where the the Bay Area the San Francisco Bay Area has um uh, this, this unique flavor, style, and culture that many uh, people in the entertainment industry, whether you're an executive, you're a producer, you're an artist, they come here to kind of pick up on that and they go back to their own um, hometown or country and kind of grow from there. So I think that's one of the unique things that we have here. Uh, that has been somewhat tainted with uh, what I would say the dot-com era because it started more with it when... You know, the bubble of the dot-com era happened, and it happened, obviously, in San Francisco and within the greater Bay Area. And we had a lot of people moving in here, just, you know, massive uh, folks moving into the city. And you started seeing the change where things came um, came more from a, a consumer's approach and, okay. and less from a creative approach. The result of that was, um, I think... Before, we had over 100 studios, dance studios, rehearsal studios, a whole bunch of uh, live music venues. Every night of the week, you can go somewhere and find pretty much any genre of music live. Now, I can count them in one hand. And most wow. of the places that we have now are bars or lounges or wine bars. The live music, the dance studios, the art and culture uh, venues that we have, have diminished to a fraction of what they were I'm telling you maybe in the 80s 90s i mean early 2000s okay okay the reason i asked that is because uh in my experience before i moved out here i'm originally from the midwest and like that's not a word you hear a whole lot in the midwest uh gentrification so you know coming out here it was all kind of new to me and i always like to get people's take on it and stuff like that it turns out i'm not wealthy enough to be a gentrifier <laughs> And that is true. It's, it's a lot about the money, man. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, was, it was interesting when I came out here hearing about that. And I'm, at first I was like, is it just like, say, Chipotle coming in instead of like, say, your mom pop taco shop or something like that? And it, it turns out it seems to be a little bit more, like you said, cutting down the number of live music venues that there are. That's something I'd like to see come back up. 
Yeah, I mean, I would love for that to come back. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm hopeful that if somehow um, we can intertwine this with the digital era and, and bring it, maybe not exactly what we have, but bring back some of that culture uh, that's, that's very so much needed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm jumping around here just a little bit, but sticking with what you were talking about, moving away from gentrification. But I went to an open house at SAE and uh, sat in uh, when you were uh, doing a lecture on like what people could get out of your class, the uh, the entertainment marketing class. And you were saying something that you kind of brought up when we were talking here about people coming to the Bay culture to get inspiration. What are some examples of some like entertainment culture that's been pulled from the Bay Area and taken elsewhere? Um, sure. If you take a look at uh, some of the producers, some of uh, the rappers within hip hop, if you take a look at some of the um, even uh, surfing or skateboard culture, uh, even fashion design uh, and the whole you know fashion industry. You know, a lot of those trends and flavors kind of start here. If you, uh, you know, uh, let's say, for example, the South has a very distinct style of music. But aside from that, if you go places, you know, Midwest, with all respect, uh, <laughs> some of the places, you know, East Coast, abroad, and you listen to some of these artists, you can literally do your research and come back and say, oh, wait a minute, you know, that sounds like uh, how RBL used to sound. Oh, that sounds like Mac Dre sound. That sounds like... You know, and, and, and that's the essence, actually. That's yeah. the essence where a lot of this stuff comes from. Then it goes somewhere else and it becomes commercialized. And in a way, with that, it's also diluted. So a little bit of the flavors change. But if you go back to kind of the essence of those uh, beats that are produced, that style of uh, rapping, the music, uh, even in, in um, you know, digital music and what have you, even, you know, the house, even though house music came from... Uh, Chicago, New York, you came to San Francisco and added its own flavor, and that kind of set it on a global trip. So to go along with that, you were saying that like other places take some of the sound and then do their own thing. Is it necessarily a bad thing that they're pulling flavor from the Bay Area and bringing it and then adding their own special ingredient to the sauce? No, not, not at all. I don't think uh, it's, a, it's a bad thing at all. Um, what I think is something that uh, is somewhat uh, a negative influence in the Bay is that we as artists or as uh, entrepreneurs or business folks in the entertainment industry, we don't have an industry here per se that's an official industry where we can collaborate, where we can work on projects together and um what tends to happen is you elevate a, an independent artist. It could be in visual arts, it could be on fashion, music, anything in, in that entertainment industry. And you hit a certain plateau here because you don't have that industry like you do in Nashville or New York or even LA. So at a certain point, an artist, if the artist wants to continue to grow their brand, their their trajectory they literally have to move somewhere else okay perfect example would be uh you know uh e40 e40 has been loyal to the bay he has represented the bay for decades now as he's expanding his career you know now he has to move to la to be able to do that because we, we don't have that set industry here but you know do you see that changing at all well, um, I, like I said, I'm hopeful. <laughs> uh, I'm hopeful that that's changing as we speak. That's something that I teach. That's something that I've been working on since I can remember, um, you know, trying to create collaborations, trying to create uh, public events, trying to create uh, just that culture where we should be working and collaborating together as opposed to uh, going somewhere else and trying to develop our careers there. I do see that changing and the way I see that changing or at least the way that I'm trying to influence that is by trying to gap what we consider now as the digital industry and the creative industry, which we do have the mecca here, into the entertainment industry. And I see that happening regardless. That's the way we're heading. So if we can, uh, along the way, create a foundation for what we consider the entertainment industry, um, I do see that changing. 
Yes. Okay. All right. Like, what would be like to get that foundation? Do you have any? If you don't have any a blueprint or anything in your mind, that's fine. But are there any steps that you think the Bay Area should be taking to uh, collaborate and get that foundation? Absolutely. Uh, I think the first and the main step is to change your mindset. Uh, here in the Bay, you know, we, we have some amazing raw talent. Unfortunately, because of the lack of industry, the lack of that foundation, we have uh, what I would say... Uh, individualism we don't think about collaborating with other folks a lot we think about just doing our own hustle and trying to get ours and that mentality needs to change because that's kind of what keeping us keeping us divided okay if we can start with that and then we can start creating more uh projects that bring how would i say a diverse population which we have here it doesn't matter what genre of music you may be or what creative orientation you may be, and create those opportunities for people to collaborate. I think it's just a matter of time before uh, things start growing and moving forward. Okay, all right, very cool, man. Very cool. So, um, now we were talking just a little bit before we recorded. I was saying that I came from my day job, and you were saying that you like tell your students something uh, when they're talking about, oh man, I'm doing a day job that I don't want to do. Like, uh, you want to go into that just a little bit? Um, absolutely. Um, I'm a perfect example of that. I've worn diff- multiple hats along my career um, to be able to do what I love to do. And one, one thing that I tell my students is that you need to do what you, whatever you need to do to do what you love to do. And that's not always going to be the same thing. However, if you can create a path where even if they're not intertwined, they're parallel, and the, the ultimate goal is to intertwine those careers, and, and the end goal is to create your own vision or mission, what is it is that you want to do, then, then that's the way to go. You know, you may be working at a day job, 9 to 5, that's completely unrelated. But as you progress, if you can find something that's related to the field, related to what you do, or even gives you access to some resources that you may need for what you love to do and what you ultimately want to do, then I think, you know, you're on the right path. All right. Very cool. So, yeah, just, you know, I, I like that. You have to do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do or love to do. I, I, I like that quote. I'll have to uh, get it right next time I say it. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or, you know, so like in your classes, like what do you teach your students? Um, I teach um, entertainment business. I teach an introduction class for entertainment business. Um, I teach uh, entertainment business models. I teach um, entertainment business projects media production, uh, events management, and touring. Um, what I like to teach my students is to uh, kind of start um, conditioning their mindset into thinking creatively about what is it that they want to do. Once they have an idea about what they want to do, then we can backtrack all the way back to where they're at now and figure out a roadmap uh, of success to get there. Okay. Uh, and that may be completely different from one student to another student but what i try to do is um basically find uh common things common qualities common challenges that we have to uh endure through that path and share those and at the same time also uh the individual ones that we can kind of shape and hope to uh educate and share some wisdom to uh be able to progress on your path all right, so would it be fair to say you try to teach the starving artists to feed themselves by reverse engineering from where they want to go to where they are now? That's, that, that could be said. And uh, two things. I also tell them, hey, you know, um, I had to do that. I had to have a 9-to-5 job, and a part-time and a full-time job in, able to, in order to do what I love to do on the side. You know, so that's quite all right. But uh, if, if you find a way... A path a bridge to be able to kind of connect that with your passion then then that's the way to go and and the other thing that i teach my uh my students are um how to create uh themselves basically their brand their business nowadays thanks to technology i mean there's a, a benefit and there's also things that are not so beneficial you know with uh, the dark camera and one is 
one of those we talked about gentrification. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, the fact that we have technology and access to this within our fingertips, you literally have everything you need at your access to be able to create yourself, create your business, create your brand. And that uh, is something that we really need to take into consideration because 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we didn't have that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the World Wide Web today, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that stuff gives people a platform instead of having to, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this anymore, but instead of having to go flyer the neighborhood, you know, to let people know about your stuff. Flyering the neighborhood still gets the word out. Yeah, I mean, guerrilla marketing is never going to go away. That's that's here. It's been here since, you know, the beginning of times. Uh, but with digital marketing, you have access to a global platform, and, and that's huge. Also, with analytics, you're able to fine-tune your approach, your strategies, and uh, it makes things a lot easier than before. For instance, if you're setting up a tour, you can use the analytics from your, whether you have a website, you have a YouTube or a Facebook, to see where are your fans at, where are people that are following that, and you know, you're able to pinpoint like I have more followers in this city, you know, I have less followers in this city. And by doing that, you can actually design a more effective tour for your band or for your art. Ah, nice, nice. So go where the people are, obviously. And you can use that to pitch to venues and be like, hey, I have a strong following in this area. Uh, book me at your venue. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I, that I teach. And uh, when, you know, I teach entertainment business, but it doesn't mean that... Um, that an individual artist who is trying to develop him or herself as a brand is not a business. As a matter of fact, we see now nowadays, you know, if you talk about huge artists, let's say JC and, uh, you know, uh, Beyonce, right? They're, they're yeah. not artists no more. They're actually a brand name. And as a brand name, you, you are a business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like promoting this podcast is like I'm trying to learn some of the business ins and outs and stuff like that. So but, you know, the crazy thing is, though, with a lot of artistic people, the business side doesn't come naturally to them. Uh, and I think that's you hit it right on the money. That, that's one of the biggest challenges. Uh, a lot of my students are either uh, audio majors, uh, film majors, even uh, game development majors. And the business uh, part of it is one of the things that we lack. For instance, um, one of the things that I teach is intellectual property. Yeah. Uh, many students, you know, or artists for that ma uh, matter, don't know that. Uh, intellectual property is actually very valuable. You can write, you can write a song, you can compose a song, you can write the lyrics for a song. If you register the song yourself, you become the owner of that song, and you can actually, uh, if that song makes it, you can capitalize from that song for the rest of your life in seventy years after you pass. What that means that once you're gone from this earth, if your song is still in rotation, you're kids and your grandkids can still you know benefit from that intellectual property very nice very nice yeah and that is um, something that you've heard a lot about artists trying to get the rights to their masters and stuff like that or one thing i remember was uh michael jackson bought all the beatles masters uh when he was at an auction like with paul mccartney or something like that and yeah so yeah actually that, that's a, that's a funny story because uh Michael Jackson is an amazing artist, but he was also a very clever businessman. And, uh, you know, the story goes that, uh, you know, they were joking around and Michael Jackson goes to uh, Paul McCartney. Well, if you were to sell me the catalog, how much would you sell it to me for? You know, and Paul McCartney throws a figure out and he goes, oh, well, that's how much you would sell it to me for? Perfect. And within the same night, Michael Jackson had transferred the money and bought that catalog. And why, why that took place is because a contract doesn't have to be written. A yeah. contract can be on a napkin. A contract can be verbal. All it needs is a witness or some evidence. In this case, even though it was kind of joking around, there were people on that production set that heard what went on that can be, if needed, witnesses. However, Paul McCartney being who he is and the friendship that they had together, he didn't have any problem proceeding with the transaction. 
But that's how Michael uh, Jackson acquired the, the, the catalogs, you know, and it was it was funny because it was a verbal contract. Yeah. So be careful what you say to <laughs> some people. I guess that's the moral of the story. Um, now, in my show, I like to get advice for my listeners who are trying to get into the entertainment industry and, uh, you know, or take that next step. So what advice would you have for somebody? We can focus either on the business side of it or any other aspect of the entertainment industry if you want to dip into it. But what advice would you give somebody looking to take the next step? Uh, my advice would be to do everything and anything that you can on your own first. Okay. Uh, like once again, because of technology, you know, we have a lot of things within our access. You don't need to go into a studio if you're just starting to lay out some tracks of a song. You know, you don't need to do a lot of things nowadays. You can just do in your room. And you can actually create a whole album within a home studio and then hire somebody who's going to master it, you know. So 80% of the work you can do on your own. And not only do you save money, uh, you have more control of it, you know. And if things don't work out, then it's, it's, you're not stuck in a contract. You're not stuck with a huge debt. So I, my first advice would be to do whatever you can do on your own with the assets that you have or assets within your circle. Uh, once you do that, make sure, uh, even though you may be attached to your art, to your creation, to your whatever it may be, to your film, know when it's time to ask for help. Okay. No one is time to find your tribe, to find your team, to go ahead and develop and further develop whatever it may be your uh, your project in the entertainment industry. Like, what would be a few signs that it's time to ask for help? I know it'll be different in different uh, times, so I won't be like, "What's the one time you should ask your friends?" But what sure. would be some signs of that? Sure. I mean, sometimes, you know, we do a lot of our work and then we put them up there online and uh, we get feedback either through social media or what have you. Uh, you know, when things are going great, then, of course, that's, that's, that's a good sign. Now, when you hit a plateau and you're not getting much feedback or you're not getting many followers or you're not getting a lot of response, then maybe something needs to change. Uh, you know, maybe it's time for you to get together with a group of folks and, you know, do a, uh, either a feedback session, uh, a think tank, whatever your project may be, and, you know, co collaborate with folks and get some second opinions, third opinions, four opinions from different people to see what may be happening or what you need to change or how you need, need to evolve your craft. Very good advice right there, man. I can I ask you a quick question? Yeah, uh, sure. Most of your uh, audience are in... The music, uh, film, fashion, uh, game, a video, or there a lot of my guests anyway have been like either uh, music, comedy, or actors, and there's been some like writers, some okay. illustrators, and stuff like that on too. So okay. those episodes typically do pretty well. So cool. So once again, then I will bring it back to uh, intellectual property. Okay. Uh, intellectual property is basically any creative work that you create from your head, from your dome, right? That you put yeah. in, you put into a tangible f formats. Uh, back in the days, you would put it on a tape, you would put it on on a, on a drive. You know, now you can just upload the files. And once again, with technology, you can just research and look up how do I register a song. You know, most artists know how to produce a beat, how to record a song. But do they know how to register and copyright that song with the copyrights office of the United States? And it's something that you can do on your own, may cost you a couple of hundred dollars, or you can pay an attorney to do, may cost you a couple of thousand dollars. Okay, yeah, definitely. And as a socialpreneur, what is it that you do to promote yourself? <laughs> um to promote myself, I'm not sure. I, I'm, not, I'm in the business of uh, developing, promoting, and producing other projects. And I think uh, that's kind of how I promote myself in, in, indirectly. Um, I'm a family man, so I keep myself pretty pretty uh, reserved. Okay. Um, I think my highlights or, or uh, 
the promotions out there are either to my projects or to my artists or to works that we've uh, been involved in and, uh, you know, hearing a song that I was part of, watching a film that I was part of, uh, seeing a, being in a festival that, you know, we helped put together. That's, that's kind of the promotion and it's more uh, self-satisfying than public recognition for me. Okay. All right. So do you do anything within the industry to promote yourself? So people come to you and be like, hey, will you help us promote this show? Will you help me promote this track? Um, yeah, I, I get a lot of independent artists who uh, want some type of guidance uh, to help them either. Uh, I used to manage artists in the past. I started early on my career. I started, uh, funny enough, uh, promoting underground parties in San Francisco, uh, actually within the house music. Okay. You know, and then hip hop events too. And after that, I went into festival productions and uh, I helped produce uh, and, and expand a couple of local festivals here. And once I graduated from San Francisco State, I, uh, I it was either I had saved enough money to either buy me a new car or uh, the second option was after visiting my grandmother, uh, taking just a long trip. And I ended up moving to Europe for uh, about seven months. Okay. And I traveled throughout Europe for uh, basically artistic, entertainment, and cultural productions. I would just get my hands involved into anything that I can, uh, anything that I could, I mean, and uh, just get involved with connecting folks. And besides that, I was constantly traveling to Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, doing kind of the same thing. So because of that, uh, a lot of independent artists uh, and, and promoters and business folks have reached out to me from that, uh, I would say, international global uh, community, okay. but also that uh, the local community here in the Bay Area as well. All right. Very cool, man. So in, uh, in your time in the entertainment industry, like... What would you say, like, a couple highlights have been? Well, no, I mean, I can tell you about a couple of things that, are, that I was very fortunate, uh, you know, to be part of or host. Um, you know, one, I, w I would have to say, um, early on my career, I, I was interning for a festival called uh, Carnival San Francisco that takes place, you know, in my own neighborhood, Mission District. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, uh, after interning with them, I became part of the production team. And I helped uh, create the uh, youth and family component of that. Uh, and one of the first artists that I brought on to that uh, component was uh, Los Racas, which are local artists here from uh, out of Oakland, but okay. yeah, Panama. Uh, another highlight would be uh, at one point in my career, I opened up an art gallery at uh, San Francisco Embarcadero Center. Uh, and that was basically a place of art for me where I worked with film, art, and music. I was very fortunate to meet uh, Bill Graham's uh, attorney who had an office above me. And uh, because of that connection, um, I was honored to be chosen as the art gallery to host the Cherry Garcia uh, art tour, the final oh, wow. tour of Cherry Garcia's. And I had no idea that Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead is known all over the world for his music, but I, I had no, no idea that he was actually a visual artist as well. Was it a bunch of, like, daddy bears? <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit of everything, actually. It was sketches. It was actually uh, drawings, oils. I was like, wow. I mean, he was a, a very diverse, uh, you know, visionary artist and visual artist for that matter. I know everybody knows about his music, but yeah. a visual artist, I, I was really impressed. Unfortunately... The family, uh, after that, decided to dissolve the art state. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was an honor to have him there or have his art there and his spirit there. A lot of the uh, ex-members for the Grateful Dead came and played uh, at the gallery. It was really funny because uh, on one end, you had executives, three-piece suits, sipping wine. And on the other end, you had, uh, you know, some old hippies without their shirts playing frisbee inside my gallery that was the first time i ever saw something like that <laughs> yeah it's like two worlds colliding right there or separating you know it's like right right was it like suits were on one side hippies were on the other like kind of like a junior high dance or something <laughs> kind of but not really because they were all deadheads so there okay. was something that they had in common you know um another one of my highlights i would say a little bit before that backtracking was um I was working with a band that actually landed a, a gig uh, for opening up for Santana for the Supernatural tour 
I'm showing my age a little bit. But that was really cool because, uh, you know, they that took that band internationally and it kind of showed me early in my career like a, a, a whole different platform from just working with local artists to going internationally. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, what going, band was that? Um, this band actually kind of dissolved and just, just, just got back together after about 50 years. They're called Los Mojosos. Okay. Yeah. And another one, another highlight was same thing, going back to the art gallery that I used to have at Embarcadero Center. Uh, because I was getting involved with film and I was also helping produce some of these film festivals, uh, such as the Native American Film Festival that uh, we did, the Persian Film Festival, the Italian Film Festival. Um, I started getting involved with some uh, film uh, sessions, uh, screenings, Q&As. So I did some work with uh, Sean Penn. Uh, you know, different directors came by the gallery and uh, we had some set sessions there, Q&As and some screening sessions that were really cool. Okay. Um, after that, I would say uh, I became more involved with film and there's this movie that was uh, directed by uh, Peter Bratt and Benjamin Bragg was the leading actor there. Uh, he was in Law and Order and a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, and I got to brand that movie. That's one of my first uh, involvements in branding. Um, I actually got to name the movie. And the name of the movie is the same as my own my neighborhood, which is called La Mission. Okay. All right. Uh, the mission for the non-Spanish speakers. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you can catch it on Netflix. It's a cool movie. It's on Netflix right now? It, it was. I'm not sure if it still is, but I know it was. All right, all right. Well, I'll have to have to look and see. If not, it might be on Prime or something like that. But um, so La Mission or La Mission. <laughs> so I got involved with that. I got involved with some film, uh, and, and then I kind of started going back into an international uh, platform and working with some projects in uh, Panama um, and also in Latin America as well. My uh, next frontier, which I haven't been yet and I'm working on this, uh, is to go to Japan and explore that marketing in Asia, not okay. just Japan, but in China as well. That could be very interesting, uh, especially especially in Japan. I don't know. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, I've had a, a few friends and artists uh, that have been, have performed over there and worked over there. And I, I hear nothing but good things about it. And the fact that... Uh, the population uh, are very friendly towards uh, artists and, and just creativity in general, you know. And I mean, this that, that it's like a futuristic place from what I hear. So, a lot of tech trends are set there, you know. So it's something that interests me as well. Yeah, definitely. So when you're working in different countries like America, South America, and uh, when you eventually get over to Japan, you can't speak on that yet, but you will be able to eventually. Like, what are what are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences of working abroad and working at home? Hmm. Is there any like major cultural differences you have to be aware of? Oh, absolutely. Or... Well, one would be the language, depending where you're at. You know, uh, that was kind of challenging. In Europe, uh, I speak Spanish because I'm originally from Peru. So Latin America wasn't a problem. Yeah. Um, the Caribbean, most people speak English, but in Europe, it was uh, somewhat of a challenge. For instance, I was in uh, I was in Greece, and I was in, in the southern end of Greece, and I was going towards Athens for a hip hop festival. And I went and rented a car, and uh, you know that this is way before uh, Waze and, and Google Maps. And uh, <laughs> you know, I thought I was just okay. I'll drive myself across Greece and it shouldn't be a problem. Once I got in the car and I started looking at the signs, I, I realized I couldn't understand what the hell the signs were saying. <laughs> so language <laughs> is definitely, depending what country you're going to be going to, finding somebody, finding a friend, an ally, a representative that can help you, you know, uh, with the language, I think is a plus. But not only that, um, finding locals to, to collaborate with you uh, to kind of assist you, support you, uh, I think is key because they will give you that. In they'll be more than happy most of the time to give you the in, in and outs of the environment, the scene, the area, and what's going on there. Okay, yeah. So make local friends uh, so they can tell you where to turn when you're trying to drive. Right, and I, <laughs> I was literally doing that, uh, you know, before 
uh, Facebook was around, you know, kind of just doing that by just talking to people. But now with social media, it's so much easier to do that. You know, for instance, I was recently in Panama, uh, a couple of productions in Panama. I have some friends that have moved there and some um, artist friends who actually have bought some land there and opened up businesses. But uh, just kind of looking on social media and in kind of connecting with some folks that uh, has similarities or similar interests and projects was definitely a benefit before going there and kind of set it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely lets you uh, get a feel for the landscape a little bit and, uh, you know, make some connections before you just go there and start trying to trying to feel your way around. So I've I've got a couple more questions for you. And um, this one could be kind of tricky for what you do. I'm not 100% sure what the answer will be. Typically, I ask it to musicians, comedians, actors, writers, stuff like that. But what do you want your audience to take away or the people you work with take away from uh, what you do? What do you want them to remember about you? Like, Well, we can go back to that quote that uh, we were playing with earlier. You know, um, I'm a firm believer that uh, if you believe in yourself... If you stay true to what your passion is, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter what you need to do, obviously, within legal (laughs) limitations. um, You could get there, you know. Uh, It's been 20 years uh, in the making of my career. Uh, Many times, man, I can tell you many days that I got up and said, "This this is not... I'm not making it. You know, I'm a father of two children. Uh, I live in San Francisco, uh, just like many people. Due to gentrification, I lost my home, so I'm I'm back to rental. And buying in San Francisco is ridiculous. So there's been many, many times where I tell myself, I'm like, wow, okay, I could be way better off if I was just to go into the corp. You know, I have multiple degrees. With that, I could just be making five, ten times more money than what I'm doing doing what i'm doing now teaching or doing the projects that i'm doing now within you know social benefit projects uh but that's not my passion you know my my passion is uh creating things creating opportunities helping um helping this world become more beautiful via art culture and entertainment okay and you know my family is is more valuable than any money that i can make i can maybe have a nine to five and make a lot of money. And by the time I get home, I won't have either the energy or the mindset to spend time with my children and my family. However, I'd rather make a fraction of the money, live still comfortable and have more time with my family and have more time for projects that really mean something to me. So my point once again is that if you have something that you believe in, if you have a dream that you hold dear to your heart, if you have a passion, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't, don't, most of us, you know, and I can't even tell you how many artists I've seen almost make it. But the reality is that that almost make it doesn't pay the bills, doesn't feed you. Yeah. You know, entertainment, art, music, fashion is not a very lucrative um, career at the beginning. There's many few far in between that make it. So, struggling to make that you know unfortunately filters out some of our best creative and artists so my my advice is don't give up you know i've seen people in their 90s go back to do some creative and artistic (laughs) that they love to do once they were you know done with the rest of their life and you know i kind of feel the same way you know i don't feel that at one point i'm going to retire this is something that i teach my students but i also infiltrate and I kind of put this in my children's mindset, you know. I don't ever want you to work. We were, as humans, we were not made to work. We were made to create things, you know. Yeah. So if you do something that you love, you're not going to see it as work. If you do something that you would do anyways, regardless whether you got paid or not, then you, wouldn't, you don't see it as work. You get up every day, you get, you're happy, and you go do what you love. Now, if you can do that and get paid decent and be able to make a living doing that, then you're living the life, you know? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, You know, I'm not a rich person. I'm not super wealthy. Uh, I am, I consider myself one of the wealthiest person when it comes to 
my family, my passion, and my dreams. Because I get up in the morning and I come and do what I love to do. And, you know, I, if I take, of course, I have to make a living, especially living here in the Bay Area that does, covers all my bare necessities. Yeah. But my focus is not money. And I have to kind of uh, balance that out every day. And, you know, it might, one day is maybe harder than others, you know. But nevertheless, I get up the next day and I tell myself, man, I, I'm happy with my life because I love what I'm doing. I totally feel you on that. And, you know, I'd much rather be doing something that I love to do than something that, you know, gets me paid well, but steals my soul as I do it. You know, there's like some jobs you just kind of when you go in, you feel your soul slowly leaving your body. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can go back uh, here. I'll tell you, I can't tell you the name of the company, but um, for sure. Right after high school, you know, I got into a. because of these issues with the music and getting in trouble with, you know, disturbing the peace, I got into a corporation and I was able to kind of uh, climb up the ladder really quick into the, from just being a young employee to being a young manager. And I hit a glass ceiling, what they call, you know, and I spent nine years in the corporate world really early in my career, in my twenties. And that was my corporate boot camp. That, okay. that made me realize that, uh, you know, money wasn't everything. You know, I, I was making really good money, man. I had a few cars. I had a couple of houses. Early on my career, I was single. I was doing whatever I wanted. But the very little time that I have free from work, I was doing too much that wasn't healthy for me. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a happy balance for me. Okay. Right? Got you. Um, so once I kind of decided, you know, and said, okay, well, let's go back and kind of reassess your life and figure out what is that you want to do. Um, the other path created opportunities for me to, to be able to make income and still survive. I wasn't making the huge dollars that I was making in the corporate world, but progressively and with, with some effort, you know, I did all right. Very nice, man. Very nice. It's good to know that it's possible to find the way to do what you want through, you know, I don't know, having to experiment with some jobs and then keep going and going and eventually you'll find, hopefully find your way to where you want to be, you know? So I have one more question for you, but do actually, before I ask them one question, do you want uh, to throw out any social media at all? Uh, No, not necessarily. Like I said, I keep myself pretty private. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn under my name. Um, You know, social media, basically I do through projects. So it would would be under different projects that I'm involved in. But uh, if you need to reach me, you can find me on LinkedIn. All right. Sounds good, man. Okay. Jose Pepe Adriazola. It's time for that final question. The title question of the show. How do you live uncontained? How do I live uncontained? Uh, by living free, you know. And what I mean by that is going back to what I was just telling you. Um, staying true to your dreams. Staying true Amen. to your passion. You know, and following, uh, well, first of all, you know, creating a, a map, a guideline for you to kind of follow so you're just not shooting everywhere with no direction. Once you have that mission and vision, mission, what I mean by mission is how you're going to do things. And vision is where you want to go. Okay. Once you have that, then, you know, if you're willing to commit to your dreams and to your passions, and to your, most importantly, to yourself, then really nothing can stop you. I mean, failure, that's going to happen. And that's part of success. The, the, the biggest thing about failure is that it can either make you or break you. It's all how you see it. Okay. You know, there's, there's been more failures and success in my career. Now, if you see a failure as an opportunity, to go ahead and do it better the next time, then you're going to be all right. But if you see a failure as something that you're going to take negatively and it's going to scar you, then that's going to affect you on the negative way. So it's just how you see things and what you're willing to do to make it happen. Definitely, definitely. Perspective is important, you know. Perspective and persistence. And I heard something like, you know, you only see like the successes that people put out you know you don't see all their failures you may see some of them like have like a song flops or something like that but there's a lot of things that they have tried that didn't work that 
nobody is ever going to see. You're, if so, if you're measuring against their successes, you know, you kind of got to try to put into perspective their failures as well into your mind. Absolutely. In the entertainment industry, you know, unfortunately, we kind of abide by a public ratings, you know, what the public opinion, what they think of you. And in this case, they, they mostly in your successes. You know, if you have a failure and that gets out in the public, uh, first of all, you have a bad publicist. But <laughs> secondly, <laughs> that's something that you really don't want out there because it starts tainting your brand or, or your trajectory as an artist. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to avoid it. Like if you're releasing a movie like Geely or something back in the day, that uh, Ben Affleck movie that was not good. Um, <laughs> it's hard to hide from that. Right, especially nowadays with all the social media we're talking about. You know, I mean, you, you can even hide anything, you know. <laughs> However, if you are staying true to your work, to your honest, to your passion, you can explain things. You can even reverse a negative incident in the media and make that even work for you if you have the right strategy yeah awesome awesome well i want to thank you for joining me on the show today and uh meeting me here at pete's coffee and tea in the public market and uh you know just uh talking for a while sharing some of your some of your advice and Pepe, I got one final thing for you to do, and that is sign off the show. Would you do me the honor of signing off the show today? Absolutely. My name is uh, Jose Fernando Giosola, better known as Pepe in the creative and artistic world. I, uh, my advice is to stay true to your dreams, to your passion. Do whatever you need to do within legal limitations to <laughs> be able to do what you love to do. And My name is Pepe Adriosola, and I live uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Jose Pepe Adarizola for joining me on the show today. And uh, yeah, thanks to Pete's Coffee for letting us do the interview in the corner. And, and if you're enjoying the show, please find me on social media at Uncontained Pod or online at uncontainedpod.com. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all the same at Uncontained Pod. Just uh, like me, drop me a note and. Uh, Let's start up a conversation, and I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Thank you for listening, and until next time, live uncontained.